So amen. When I was a kid, there was a phrase that was widely popular. Uh, so much so that what people started doing is they put that phrase on a wristband, because that was a cool thing to do as a kid, right? You put it on your wristband and you wear it. Um, and, and it said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? For, for you people over here that weren't born this millennium, um, the idea behind this was to ask that question before you did anything you probably shouldn't do, right? And when you're trying to avoid living in that gray area, or maybe you're, you're thinking about a decision that you're not sure about, you, you kind of ask that question, okay, what would Jesus do? And it was funny because I, I recently looked this up and trying to see where did this originate from, and it did originate in the 90s, the 1890s. Uh, I guess there's nothing new under the sun. It came out of, uh, uh, in Kansas, uh, a preacher was just trying to engage his, yeah, all right. So a, pre- a preacher was just trying to engage the audience, and that's what it was, and it caught on, and it was, and it was wonderful. And I think this is the idea that, uh, that I want to think about for the next two weeks. So for the next two weeks, I, I want to take this question and apply it to the world that we're currently living in. So we'll ask a couple unique questions, and I'm very excited about it. So we're going to have two different emphasis. So this week, I want to talk about this idea of having a Christ-centered identity. Okay, And what does that mean? What does that look like? What does that mean to Jesus when he was trying to focus on having a close relationship with God, and how did he do that? And so that's what we'll focus on this week. And next week, we're going to look at this idea of the, finding the difference between being righteous and religiosity. And so I'm excited for that. So next week, uh, I've got a, a question for you. That's, this is the sermon title. I'll give you a little preview of it. So next week's sermon title is, Would Jesus Skip Midweek? So the answer will come next week. Amen. And I'm looking forward to that discussion. But tonight, or this morning, we're in the morning now. This morning, I got a question for you that I, I just, you know, a pretty deep theological question that I'd like us to marinate on this morning. It's, would Jesus take a selfie? That's my title for this morning's lesson. Like I said, welcome to Denton. We're glad to have you here. I know this is, this is the thought, you know, I first thought this has got to be one of those deep theological questions he's learning about in school. No, we haven't talked about this yet. Um, but this is, there's something here that I want to get into because you think about a selfie, right? Selfies are us capturing moments. Pictures of ourselves with people uh, in certain places. Usually it's eating food because we have to take pictures of us with our food. I don't, okay. Uh, but but this, is, this is how we as a culture right now communicate, right? This, this is what we communicate with. We, we, put, we take a picture, we throw it up online, we throw it up on our Facebook, our Instagram, our Snapchat, whatever, and we communicate. And what we start to do is we shape our personal identity of what we want to be associated with, with what we throw up on our whatever Instagram, LinkedIn account, whatever. And when we throw this up to go, okay, this is what I want you to think of when you think of me. That's the idea. We are shaping our identity. And I feel like we do this, not just obviously with this, but we do this with a lot of different things in our culture. We make decisions, life decisions based on Okay, how will this shape my personal, visible identity? You know, I feel like being a part of the culture here in Texas, one of the things we do is we have to always think about this decision. Should I buy a pickup truck? 
I feel like that's a, a culturally Texas thing. This is, this is a true story. When I first moved to Texas on July 4th, 2006, I was driving from California and I was driving into Austin. Okay. And so that night I got in pretty late. I crashed in my buddy's place. And then I woke up this morning, that morning to go to uh, a local place. Uh, maybe you've heard of it. Uh, Whataburger. Um, it's kind of a big deal, I guess. But so we went, I went and drove to Whataburger for breakfast and I pull into the parking lot and there's one spot left. So me in my 96 Toyota Corolla with no AC at this point in July 2006, struggling, park in the last parking lot, get out of my car, every single car next to me and every single car in the parking lot was a pickup truck. That was my, every one of them. That was my first experience with Texas. And I just thought, well, I'm in it. So being from California, this was different. This was, but this was a cultural thing. This is what, in my opinion, what people, they enjoyed this because in a lot of ways, either one, it was for work or two, it was a part of their identity. I'm Texan. Here's my truck. That, that's what it was. In California, it's I am Californian. Here's my bathing suit. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's, there's just a difference. These are the things we identify with. And, you know, we have, all, we have other things we do, right? You've got, you've got competing camps, right? You've got Nike versus whoever else is trying. So Adidas or Converse or whoever else they're dominating, okay? Right? And then you've got Mac versus, well, the rest of you. But, you know, like PC or Android or whatever. And so you've got these different camps in which you, you identify with. For me, one of the things that uh, I use as kind of my identifier is I like the brand uh, Johnny Cupcakes. It's just a t-shirt company. None of you have any idea, but my students see me with these kind of unique, uh, eclectic t-shirts that I just enjoy. And so that's a big thing. I like this brand and whatever. But this is how I promote my visible identity. And you know, it's interesting because when we think about Jesus for a moment, he lived in a time in which he was having to make decisions about what his visible identity was going to be to the people around him. The decisions he made, the places he went, he was going to create an image for himself that everybody was going to look at. You know, and and today what I want to do is I want to look at Jesus's identity, at least the identity that he was shaping for himself, that he wanted other people to see and other people to understand. So we're going to have two things we focus on today. Number one is how did Jesus uh, shape his identity? What was important to him? And then secondly, how can we, as his followers, imitate this process and continue to transform ourselves into the person that God wants us to be? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And so let's dive in. If you can start turning over to Mark 8. So focus number one, uh, you know, the identities of Jesus. So the most well-known title of Jesus that we associate with his name is Christ. That's what his disciples called him. That's what we uh, still call him today. In fact, that's what we've literally named our movement after. Christians, like like Christ, little Christ. We We are part of his last name. Christ itself is a Greek word spelled with English letters, which comes from the Greek word Christos or Christos. 
Christos or Christas is then translated actually from a Hebrew word, which is pronounced Mashiach. I'm sure I butchered that, but I've been practicing. So, which when you translate that word, it's Messiah. So essentially what we've understand is Christ and Messiah, that they mean the same thing. Okay, it's got the same uh, Christos or Mashiach, the same origin word. And it's funny because both of these words actually have the same meaning. And that means one who had oil poured on their head. That's the literal translation from the original word, just someone who's covered in oil. And you're not, but we've translated that word to anointed. And so when we think of someone who is anointed, this is that process, right? If you look at the scriptures, there were two types of people, or at least in that culture, there were two types of people that were anointed. It was people who were going to be king or people who were going to be high priest. So very important figures. And these were the people that were anointed or that would have oil poured on their head. And so what's fascinating is there were other people from that time that could also be messiahs. They could also be these anointed figures. And there was. You think of the high priest. The high priest in their vernacular would have been a a messiah. But then you also had people who were striving to be messiahs. And so what that means is they were trying to assert their authority in some way to either get themselves to a position of power, like maybe try to attempt to take over the Roman government or, or, you know, something, try to find a leadership role. And so they were working towards making themselves messiahs. And in fact, I I have zero proof of this, but I wouldn't be, have been hard to imagine if Barabbas, the one who was traded for Jesus, so Jesus died on the cross, if Barabbas would have considered himself a messiah figure. That makes sense because he was the political leader, leading movements. That, and so someone like that, that would have been a very good uh, image of someone who could have been also a Messiah figure. So in Jesus's day, people would come up to him and, and they would call him Christ or Messiah. But this title was used least by him. Jesus did not refer to himself ever as the Christ or Messiah. And if someone did, he wouldn't deny it. But then he would quickly change the subject and refer to himself as the son of man. And I want to look at this a few times, a few examples in Mark chapter eight. And so here's a conversation where Jesus is talking to Peter and, you know, it's the, hey, who do who do people say I am? I am. And he gives them this answer. You know, hey, you're the you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And look at this. Mark eight, verse twenty nine. Peter answered, you're the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anybody about this. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things to be rejected by the elders and so forth. So Peter goes, you're the Messiah. And we know in Matthew, he goes, you're right. And then he says, don't tell anybody. Keep it quiet. And let me tell you what the Son of Man needs to do. Right? And we have another example of this. Uh, if you mark chapter uh, 16, I have it up here. In Mark 16, here's another example. Verse 61, it says again, the high priest asked him. So this is Jesus uh, on trial for his life, talking to the high priest. And they asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. He says, are you the Messiah? He says, yes. 
but I'm also the Son of Man. And more importantly, I'm the Son of Man. And what you're about to see me do is a reference to the Son of Man. Is it Mark 14? Mark 14, thank you, sorry. Um, And so he, he says, look, this is who I am. I'm the Son of Man. And what we notice is the Son of Man became central to Jesus's identity. This idea, Mark 14, he, I, I'm the son of man. And this is what he would refer himself to. And this phrase, son of man, was one that came out of the book of Daniel. And what we're going to do right now is I'm going to show a video, kind of a little background of the son of man, because these guys are better explaining stuff than I am. So let's, let's watch this. So this is a reference to Daniel chapter 7. And this was a story in which essentially all people, at least in that society, Understood. Think of it like a movie that everybody's heard of. And so you're, they're quoting lines from the movie and it's instantaneously, you know what it connects with. So I'll give you an example, right? If I say, I am your father. <laughs> what movie is that? <laughs> Star Wars, right? Okay, so I'll do you one better. I'll one word it. If I say on the next slide, marriage. <laughs> what movie? Princess Bride, right? It's, it's cultural. Some of you have never even seen those movies, which, you know, shame on you. But, but, but you know the quote because it's so embedded in our culture and in our society. And I think this is, so this is Jesus, right? He's calling himself the son of man. And everybody knows exactly what he's talking about. He's saying, this is me. And everybody gets it. And that's why this scripture is so powerful in Mark uh, chapter 14, in which he's saying to the high priest, let's read Mark 14 again. In Mark 14, 61, it says again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? He said, I am, said Jesus. And you will see this son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. And so the high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. And so the high priest says, are you the anointed one? And Jesus replies, I am. But not only that, I'm the guy from the book of Daniel that we all know about. And I'm the one that's going to not just go above your job. I'm going to be anointed above you in heaven. And, you know, basically I'm better than you. That's essentially what he said. And the high priest, the religious figure of the day, got upset about that. Because what Jesus was telling him is you are going to be powerless in my presence. And he's like, what? (laughs) And he tears his clothes. He's like, we got to kill this guy now. But here's the interesting thing. What they didn't realize is in that moment, in their response, they were fulfilling the prophecy. They were basically ascending Jesus to his throne, which was the cross. They gave him a crown. They gave him a robe. They gave him a scepter. And they they essentially made him king without even really realizing it. And so this is this, you know, this figure or uh, this prophecy being fulfilled. Jesus' identity, what he wanted everybody else to know about him was he was the son of man. Not some earthly Messiah, not some earthly, earthly Christos figure. He was going to be greater than we could understand. Because here's the thing. If we started to treat Jesus, or at least what they wanted from this coming Messiah figure, 
They wanted a political figure. They wanted someone who was going to overthrow and rule on earth. But Jesus' mission was, I've got something greater than this. And so for Jesus, his identity was tied to something greater than you and I could understand. And I think for us, this has got to be something we respond to. So if that's Jesus' purpose, and that's his identity, then what should be mine? I know we we use brands and we use different things to, to promote our visible identity. But looking at Jesus as the starting point, what should be our visible identity? And that leads me to question in point number two, or point number two, excuse me, the identifiers of the followers. Our identifiers. For us to be like Jesus, I think we need to make sure we are focusing on the most important things. We just got to make sure the things that we prioritize are, are, are spiritually important. And we make it about doing what's best for us spiritually, not necessarily what's best for us physically. Sometimes those overlap and other times, well, they don't. I'll give you an example. Josh touched on it. This morning, I thought physically it would have been really great to take my hour that was taken from me and use it to continue to sleep. That wouldn't have been the best for me spiritually. Amen. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes they don't necessarily overlap. You know, for me, one of the things that can often pull me away from feeling connected to Christ is just feel like I am too busy. I appreciate what Josh shared today. I think it's going to tie in well. I I think that's one of the things that for me, I, I feel like I'm just too busy. And oddly enough, this busyness can often be with spiritually related things. You know, I, I can be busy with events. I can be busy with Bible studies. I can be busy with, I'm in grad school. I can be busy with all the things that I have going on, on top of, you know, being a dad, <laughs> being a decent enough husband. Now, I'm, I'm trying to get past that, right? But being a good husband and, and still try to find time to be sane. And I still I'm the only one that feels this way, right? No, no one else? Okay. And what happens is when I get busy, my priorities start to get jumbled. Is my relationship with my wife suffering because I'm busy? Are my daughters feeling like they're being raised by a single parent because I'm just too busy? And I think these are real questions we got to consider and apply them to your life. What things are you not doing because you're too busy? especially things that are taking away what are most important with your walk with God. And these are real things to consider. But I, I want to propose something to everyone today. Okay? Well, starting off together and unified as we move forward. From now until Easter, I want to challenge you or encourage you to change one thing in your life that you feel like will help you grow closer to God. This is something that Kelly and I are going to do. We welcome you or invite you to participate. That's totally up to you. But it can be something you're adding into your walk. It can be something you're limiting so you can connect deeper with God. For example, maybe you want to cut out media consumption. Maybe that's what it's going to take from now till Easter. Hey, just I want to use that time I would normally spend doing whatever to grow in my relationship with God. Maybe you want to pick up something specifically you want to study out more. So maybe you're going to pick up a book to accompany the Bible and go, you know, what? I just want to grow in my knowledge of faith. Or I want to have a better understanding of my knowledge of what it means to be joyful in God's, in God's eyes. And so you just, you just grab something. 
Maybe you decide to go to the same place every day to build relationships with people in your community. So you just make a decision that each day I'm going to be consistent to go somewhere. And I'm going to go to the local coffee shop or I'm going to go to the whatever because I want, I just want to meet people. And maybe I'll invite them to church, but I I won't want to see them, want them to see my life as it reflects my relationship with God. I just want to build up in this community. The point of this is to do something that just helps you connect closer to God. Whether it's adding, taking away, changing one thing from now till Easter. And I think one of the things that can cool is obviously the point of this is not to bring chaos. You're like, I'm already so busy. That's not, the point is not to bring chaos. And, you know, for example, I'm not suggesting you fast from now till then, like from food. You know what I'm saying? That, that just wouldn't, it wouldn't be wise. Not like any of you had that thought, but just in case, right? <laughs> you know, not to bring chaos to your life, but just something that's going to push your connection with God and help it to be more rooted and deeper so you can connect more with Christ. For me, just so you know, every day I'm making a decision to drop down on my knees and pray. I pray, I walk, I sit, whatever. But I think there's just something, something important about getting on your knees. Being in complete submission and reverence to Christ. Just, hey God, you are, you are wonderful, you are amazing. And so from now to then, I'm making a decision each day to just drop down on my knees and pray. And I think one of the things for me is, my hope is I, I can... I can grow closer to God, but I think more will happen. I don't know what's going to happen, but I just know if I'm taking the time to prioritize God and let him have a greater impact on me, he's going to work. And I think the same will happen. It's like, what is your goal from this? Well, have one, but watch God do more because he will. And I think what's cool about this is if we decide and if you decide to do this, what an opportunity to talk to people about it. Hey, this is what I'm doing. What are you doing? Hey, this is what I'm learning. What are you learning? Especially because many of you are getting to know each other for the first time. Hey, here's your icebreaker. I've set you up for success. Amen. But I think what it will also do is it'll open our hearts and have opportunities just to love each other. But disciple if we need to. Hey, I realize I'm not as good at praying as I think I am. What helps you? Hey, I realize I'm not as invested in my community as I thought I was. What helps you be invested and it's just, it's great opportunities to connect with each other. And I think our goal here is we, as a church family, want to grow closer to Christ and grow closer to each other in the process. And that's what I want us to do. And I think this is something we can do. I think it's, it's going to be something that's awesome and amazing to be used for him. But it's just a decision. I'm going to put God first. Amen? Amen. Amen. There's a scripture in John that I think sums up as what we're talking about today. And we'll, we'll close here. And this is Jesus praying for the world and for the believers. In John 17, verse 24, it says, Father, I want those you have, been, you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Jesus wanted people to be with him where he was. Hey, I I want people to to be with me. And we look throughout John 17. He just wants the people to be unified. That was his prayer. Before he left this earth, his prayer was for unity of his family. Unity of his his church friends and the people that were there and the people that would come. And that was the goal. And for us, this has got to be one of the most important things we strive for. 
Unity with each other as we are unified with Christ. That's it. And you know what? God usually takes care of the rest. Because if we've got issues, but we're unified with each other, we can talk about our issues. But if we have issues and we're not unified, we're not going to talk about our issues. And then things get worse. So we've got to make a decision. Unity with each other is vital. So I don't know what that's going to look like. You know, I know we're, we're going to have, we're going to try to stay consistent with our schedule and what we have. And then we'll reevaluate and go, this works or this is terrible. Let's change some things. But I think, you know what? At the end of the day, our goal is to be unified with each other as we're unified with Christ. Guys, we are so grateful to have all of you up here. I'm so encouraged and just, I'm waiting to see what God will do with everything. We love you. Thank you so much. God bless you.